Welcome to the Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media, the podcast professionals. This is a podcast about the story of Australia's men and women, the coaches that we give the responsibility to develop our players and teams. In the main, these stories haven't been told, so sit back, listen and enjoy. We are lucky enough today to have Johnny A, John Aloisi with us. Obviously, uh, an incredible playing career uh, through the NSL, 15 years in Europe, come back, um, um, five, over 500 games for club and country, and played in a World Cup, an Asian Cup, Confederations Cup, Oceania Cup, um, in the uh, runners-up medal with um, Osasuna in the, in the Spanish Cup as well. But we're not here to talk about his playing career. So, so John came back to Australia and, and started his coaching career at Melbourne Heart and the U team, the senior team, and then three fantastic years at Brisbane Raw. Long introduction. Welcome, John Aloisi. Thanks for having me on, Gaz. <laughs> My pleasure, mate. You're in Sydney preparing for... Um, um, tomorrow's cha- oh, tomorrow's cha- oh, Saturday's Sunday Champions morning. Yeah, Sunday yeah. morning. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm at Stamford Bridge. I flew over to London. I got out of Melbourne, <laughs> and, if, and if you believe that, I got a second hand car for sale as well. And and in true Victorian manner, I've taken my mask off. I did have my uh, first um, um, AstraZeneca jab today, so. Um, assuming all goes well, I won't fall off my chair. But if I disappear sideways, you just know that I've, I've had a reaction. So welcome along, John. It, it, it's a, a great pleasure and an honour to have you here. Um, uh, can, can I jump in and just say that the, the um, I, I was going to say, when you go to introduce someone that talks on a, uh, a sports show, the word the word commonly word used banded around is pundit, and I'm like, it's a really really interesting thing. So I'm going to call you an armchair coach nowadays. Is that yeah? Is that, is that okay, <laughs> actually, I don't mind that because <laughs> I find it strange that, that I'm you know I have to call myself a pundit or a TV pundit. That uh, I I just love uh, talking about the game in general, yeah. um, and I can look at it at, at a different side because a lot of the time I'm talking uh, to or with people that haven't been coaches so I can sit there and and say well this is what the coach might be trying to do and this is where he's coming from so um, you know I enjoy it It, it, watching you know Champions League football and talking about it is great and I can't wait to watch your your beloved Chelsea against uh, Manchester City I think it's a a really good matchup you know both sides that like to play the football the right way Um, and uh, you know it'll be interesting to see who comes out on top. But uh, Chelsea, I think, have got the upper hand only because they've beaten them on the last two occasions. And uh, yeah. I think, they, you know, that will play on the players' minds a little bit at Manchester City. Hopefully, mate, because if, if Manchester City are the way Manchester play, the way Manchester City play, um, it's very, very difficult for anyone to stop them there. Um, I just love it when teams are successful and just play the game in a, let's call it a simple manner, but it's just so, so beautiful and, and pretty to watch. Yeah, that's right. No, no, but look, Guardiola's done it at nearly every club he's been to, uh, play a great way of football. And when you're successful playing that way, it rubs off on the rest of, uh, you know, the world of football. Because if you sort of get success through playing a defensive style of football, then the rest of the world try and follow that way. So I'm glad that two teams that like to uh, play possession-based and good possession and not just for possession's sake um, are in the final. 
no, amen. Let's hope it's a good one, and um, it'd be nice for to see the um, the blue boys bring one home. Oh, sorry, my version of blue, the darker blue, <laughs> <laughs> not the sky, not the sky blue. Johnny, this isn't about your, your playing career, but but maybe let, let's start there because you made your debut, I think, as a 15, 16 year old yeah. at Adelaide. Fifteen City. year old, yeah, yeah. yeah. 15-year-old at Adelaide City, um, I had Zora Matic as my, my coach. Um, and, you know, look, I was looking back now, I will say Zoran was ahead of his time. Um, mm. You know, a lot of things that uh, Zoran was doing back then, you know, uh, people and coaches still do today, you know, were patterns of play, um, which I hadn't heard of, you know, back yeah. then. And, um, and Zoran was doing it. And you could really notice it when, you know, Adelaide City would play. You sort of knew what they were going to do. But yeah. um, because they did it so well, it was, it was hard to, to stop them. And um, Zoran was very successful. So I was um, grateful now that, uh, you know, that I, I look back, you know, that probably helped me um, develop as a player. Um, but I was, uh, I only played one national league game. I played a lot of Ampol cup games back then. Yeah. Um, and then from there I moved to the Institute of sport with, uh, with Ron Smith and Steve yeah. O'Connor and, and they, they really honed down your skills, uh, individually, especially in your position. And, you know, I, I learned a lot at the Institute of sport and it was a, a great, um, learning upbringing really when I, I look back that uh, set me up for my career. Yeah, John, I I got had the honour of working with Ronnie at the AAS for a couple of years as as well, and and I just finished my playing career and, and rolled in as as his assistant coach, and I was blown away. Um, I knew Ronnie well. I, I learned to to understand just how good he was as a teacher, um, of players and coaches. You know, he helped develop an incredible number of coaches through there as well. But how much time was really spent on helping players develop really good behaviours that would suit them then? They could go and play anywhere in any system because they had great behaviours and understood what that meant to, to be able to play. Do you think that's a fair summary? Yeah, it is. Um, so Ron really taught you the principles of the game um, so that you could actually play in, in any system, you know, the, you know. So with, say, for instance, a striker, you know, he would actually look at what uh, sort of characteristics you had as a striker and and you develop that way, you know, because Mark Baduka was more of a striker that he was very good with his back to goal. So Absolutely. he honed in on making Mark improve even more in, in that aspect than... You know, whereas, uh, say, myself or other players, you know, Ron would teach us to actually see uh, the ball, see the defender. And so when you're receiving the ball, you can actually, if he's too close, you can actually run in behind him or, you know, you can uh, receive the ball and face your defender and start yeah, to yeah. run at him. So all those basic principles were, were, you know, Ron, you know, and I'm only talking about from my position, yeah. that was so important because then when you went to another level, you played different systems, um, yeah. you know, and, uh, and so it was more about learning your role as a player um, and understanding, you know, how you can improve and, and do well. But uh, what Ron was really good at um, was not only the teaching on the field, was also the analysis. Uh, yeah. Because we, we I, I would say that it, it probably towards the end of my career, we started to do uh, analysis over in Europe. 
and, yeah. and that that was you know when I was close to 30 years old so again Ron Smith was way ahead of his time because I was only 16 when I was doing you know individual analysis with with uh, Smudger and and with uh, Steve O'Connor so yeah. I remember them cutting up footage and showing you know Gary Lineker his movement in the box yeah. and uh, and you know this is how he's finding his his space in the box and look when the player's about to cross the ball look where he's on the shoulder of the defender yeah. and he can see the cross it nips in front of him and they're things that I took uh, with me throughout my career. Yeah, look, receiving the ball facing forwards as often as you could, and and that yeah. Gary Lineker speciality of sitting on the shoulder—he he was yeah. just a, a master, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. And, and that's what intrigued me that that you know I went uh, a couple of years before then, and, and Ronnie would sit me down and and say, "What's this game? And what's this? What's this game in the World Cup? And look at the strikers." And I couldn't believe that I I like. Dukes, I'd spent my, my, my career as a central striker with my back to goal, you know, looking to eventually get to run forwards. And he's saying, all the best strikers in the world are facing forwards. And I'm like, yeah. hang on a minute, I'm watching football. How comes I'm not seeing this? <laughs> you know, it's just, just in, in, absolutely intrigued me. So, no, yeah. I get it. You, you um, let, let, let's um, get going into some, into some of these questions. So you, you finished your playing career. You came back, uh, Central Coast Mariners, uh, Sydney FC, where you had success uh, with both of those clubs, Mel a brand new club in Melbourne Heart, which was um, uh, fantastic and, and all power to them. They've just won as Melbourne City now. They've just won their first premiership, which is fantastic for them. So uh, all power. That's been a, a long journey. How did, you, how, did, how did you transition from playing into coaching? Well, I already had in mind in the, the the last few years of my career that I'd, I'd like to go down the field of coaching. Um, of course, you don't know uh, if you will enjoy it or how it will go. And, uh, you know, you've got an idea of what you would like to do and, and you start to write down, you know, what coaches you like, what were their uh, good things that you learned from them, what things that uh, you probably didn't like about them. And, uh, and, and also, you know, you start to watch the game a little bit in a different way than when you're just a player. Yeah. Um, so I started to do my coaching licenses uh, when I was uh, still playing. I, uh, I went over to the UK, to, to London, and did uh, my level two, which is like your uh, yeah. C license, and then uh, did my B license over there, um, and then eventually my A, and then did my pro here uh, in Australia, the AFC pro license. So I, I already, my last year of... Um, of playing uh, at Melbourne Heart. John Van Skip was the coach, Ante Milicic and Jesper Olsen were the assistant coaches. And they would include me in some of the, the coaching meetings and uh, yeah. which was, you know, I was really fortunate um, to, to start already as a player. And then um, towards the end of that season, I had to start to do, uh, because we didn't have a youth team back then, we had to build yeah. one and I was <laughs> going to be their first youth team coach. So I had to do whole trials and, and I was still playing, and I, and, but it was a good first step in, into coaching. Um, and then once, you know, I retired, it was already there. My youth team was, was formed. Um, and then I would be one of the, you know, assistants, second assistant with the first team, then the, the first team coach uh, at well, the youth team. So yeah. that, that was my first step into coaching. And um, I, I enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah. you know, I learned a lot you know, very early on and very quickly because I was mornings with the first teams, afternoons with the uh, the youth team. Um, and then it was back down to earth in terms of when we would travel 
overseas, uh, overseas, over to uh, interstate uh, to, to actually play. It's different, you know, from when I was playing at the highest level in Europe that you had someone that will carry your boots. I was carrying <laughs> balls. I was carrying the crutches, uh, the bags. And uh, so it was uh, very much back down to earth. And, uh, you know, you're starting from the bottom. Yeah, no, that's uh, the, the the glamour of coaching. You don't know what you don't know when you're taking a coaching job, do you? Yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> John, Johnny, the um, it, it, having had these conversations now for um for a few months, it, it's really interesting because I'd never pond, pondered the transition. I like you finished. I'm going to call it an elite playing career, or for me, a part time one, as opposed to you, an illustrious professional career. But you transition. It seems it seems to people outside fairly seamlessly and fairly easily from playing into coaching at a, at a good level because there seems to be opportunities there. Whereas for some other people like uh, Joe Montemuro, um, doesn't have that elite playing career and becomes I'm going to call it a career coach, which is probably the wrong term, but but starts off coaching juniors, you know, at, at a lot lower level. And it takes a period of time, a bit like Alan Stadich, you know, it, it takes them a while to come through to the to very top echelons of it. That being said, how important was that first season for you to work in that youth level to really start to learn your craft and understand some of the things and get some of those mistakes that we all make in the early days yeah. out of the way? Yeah, it was very important. And and look, everyone's got a different path, you know, the, of, of the way they um, get make their way into whatever career path in terms of coaching, whether you, you say career coach or whether it's from grassroots through juniors, through academies up to the first team, because that's what, yeah. you know, some coaches would like to achieve. You know, sometimes you're fortunate that you've actually played at a, a certain level that you've had very good coaches that you can already fall back on some of those experiences and and some that uh, didn't play the game uh, at a very very high level will learn more through you know hours and hours of, yeah. of coaching but I actually think that you, you everyone learns through hours of coaching um, you know that uh, and so that first year was really important so you know it, it was just important to make sure that you're you're prepared uh, your preparation is is key um, for a training session, for you know a, a microcycle, macrocycle, all those things, you know, which you take it for granted when you're playing. You don't understand that side of things, and uh, the, the tactical side, you know, you, your substitutions, when when not to do them, um, you know, sometimes when you're coming up against a team or or when you've travelled, um, you know, sometimes with the youth team you're travelling. You know, up to Brisbane, the morning of the game, um, and and all of a sudden it's uh, you know nearly ninety percent humidity. You know, do you need to change the, your style a little bit and and yeah. you know to understand how the players might be feeling? So all those little things and details you're learning, uh, and and I think that was really important. To, but the, the the thing that 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 you you probably don't learn until you're really in the hot seat is. Um, you know your dealings with uh, the hierarchy of a football club um, because yeah. w w when you're at youth team level you're very much coaching and leading that group um, yeah. you know when, when you go into the head coaching role you know there's a lot more aspects that actually yeah. go on do, do you think you can as much as you knew about the game as much as you had experience in the game 
do you reckon you were 100% prepared for that first head coaching role? I don't think any coach is 100% prepared um, until you're in that role. And, you know, uh, Paddy Casnorbo spoke uh, about it at the beginning of this season. He said mm. that, um, you know, he, he actually did quite a few uh, years assistant uh, with the first team. He was uh, the head coach of the W League side at Melbourne City. Um, and he said, nothing prepared me, uh, you know, for that head coaching role because there's things that come at you that you're just not expecting um, because you don't see it as an assistant um, right. as much. Um, so, you know, I still think that, um, you know, you're always learning. It doesn't matter when you're in a role. Um, I think over the years, you'll always keep on learning and improving and dealing with situations differently or better or, um, you know, because we also know that uh, what works today doesn't necessarily work tomorrow. Um, so, so there are things that, uh, you know, was I ready? Well, you know, not a hundred percent because I don't think you can be. Um, was it the right decision to take the job? I felt it was, and and I still think that it was a um, a very good experience for me, even though um, I struggled in results wise. I think that um, you learn a lot when you're probably not succeeding as much. And uh, and I, I did learn a hell of a lot in that first year and a half as a head coach at Melbourne Heart. Yeah, no, I, I really like that, John. I think, um, I don't think there's too many people, too, I don't think there's too many coaches in too many sports learn a lot when they're winning. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe if you win every week, maybe you have to... <laughs> Maybe you have to get better at learning and tweaking them, but uh, there's nothing draws your focus like uh, losing uh, and then losing two or three in a row because it's uh, it's obviously dangerous territory in, in coaching as well. Um, you know, it, it's almost bizarre, isn't it, that the, a coach that's losing is learning perhaps the most, yet they're the most at risk um, of losing losing their position so yeah no that's right and and look again you you want to of course you need short-term success when you're a coach because you need the people that are uh, have given you the job and and uh, and also your players and and the supporter base to, to actually believe in you and that's a a good way of actually um moving forward a lot quicker but yeah. um you know if if your uh, career path or you want to be uh, you know a coach for a long period you need to be able to deal with these situations. And if it, if it happens early in your career, then it, it's not a bad thing necessarily because yeah. you learn once you get going. Here in Australia, we're a little bit, um, you know, it's unfortunate because there's not a lot of coaching roles. Mm. Um, but overseas, especially, you know, in, in Spain, Italy, even in, in England, is that uh, they say you're not a real coach until you get the sack. And um, <laughs> and it's, it's an interesting uh, way of thinking about it. And they go, because you know then, what uh, yourself, um, you know, how you deal with those pressures, how you deal, yeah. you know, uh, with your job on the line, um, you know, how do you recover from it? Because your decision making um, shouldn't waver in terms when you're having that pressure. You should still be very clear in what you're trying to do. You know, if, if the if the fan base or the media uh, are saying, you know, he doesn't, uh, he should be playing this player or playing that player, you you see the players every single day. You, you know everything that's going on every single day. They don't. They're going to have their opinion. But if you're clear, um, and, and it's not easy to be clear because when you're feeling that pressure, you know, people can also um, start to uh, 
make decisions that aren't necessarily the right ones. Um, mm. So I, I felt that so that was good for me because I, I uh, came to understand that I can deal with that sort of side of things um, and that pressure and uh, yeah, ended up losing my job, but it prepared me for my next job. Yeah. And, and that roll on to, to Brisbane where you had three fantastic years. I think you finished third, third and, and uh, six made the finals in all of those years. And then that flips around because you walked away from, from that. Uh, and I, and, and we, I don't want to dig down into why here, but I, I'm going to guess having a, a private owner of a football club in the structure we have in Australia that lives in another country is, is, a, difficult, is a difficult thing to do. But how difficult was that for you when, you're, yeah. when you know how rare they, those jobs are to, to say, yeah. oh, I'm done here? It, it was very difficult. Um, first of all, like I mentioned how my Melbourne Heart, uh, you know, uh, situation and, and my experience there helped me with Brisbane Raw because at Melbourne Heart, I didn't know at the time they were trying to sell the club and eventually they sold it as uh, probably a couple of months after, you know, I was uh, sacked. But what, um, you know, we, we were struggling in terms of finding a training field, um, you know, the, the, the Football budget had dropped by nearly a million dollars from when John Van Skip was involved. And all these things, you know, were, was new to me. And I didn't know, uh, you know, that could happen or how do I do yeah. with this situation. And um, and so I was learning along that way. And then when the Brisbane Raw job uh, came about, it, it prepared me because they were in a, a, a pretty bad situation financially. The, uh, the CEO, uh, just before I arrived, um, had walked. Um, and so we had no CEO the day I arrived. The chairman that uh, that signed me um, ended up walking three days later, and so <laughs> I was left there in the lurch. And, going, and we haven't even got a training facility because we just got kicked out of a training field, um, which was Ballymore because we hadn't paid the bills. So uh, the, the players hadn't been paid their super for over a year. And so these are all things that were hap was happening the, yeah. as I signed at Brisbane Raw. I sort of knew the uh, the position they were in, but um, I thought, well, it's an another opportunity in coaching. I really liked the squad that uh, I was going to inherit with yeah. one, two, three more signings. I felt that we could have a, a very good squad to, to compete. Um, and so I was able to first thing go get a, a training facility that uh, will be you know up to a level that we can uh, um, you know call it sort of a professional level. Um, make sure I get the FFA involved in in and the PFA in, in sorting out the players super. So already I'm gaining a trust from the players that I'm not just yeah. going to allow this to happen. Let let's let's try and uh, move forward with this together. Um, and uh, so that, that that helped a lot, that experience yeah. at Melbourne Heart. But um, yeah, the, the first year ended up going pretty well on the field. Um, there were still some issues off the field. In the in the three and a half years that I was at Brisbane Raw, and I'm still the longest serving coach at <laughs> Brisbane Raw, yeah. so, which is quite funny in itself, um, I never met the owner once. Um, mm. And so it, that was tough because you're not really understanding where, what direction the club want to head into? What, what yeah. do they want? What's the big picture? Um, so the first thing I did was just mainly focus on getting the first team right and prepared and ready to, to move uh, and try and have a good A-League season. And we're very un unlucky that we, um, if we beat Melbourne Victory in the last day, uh, which we drew nil all, 
we would have won the the uh, the might of the premier's plate and would have put us in a really good position to to make the grand final and in the the major semi-final we ended up losing to western sydney wanderers in an epic 5-4 game that yeah. uh, we were three nil up so that's one that lives with me <laughs> <laughs> still st- still uh, substitutions haunt you right <laughs> yeah well you know that my subs actually were okay yeah well that was uh, they actually brought me back into the game because we ended up three nil up we ended up going four three down and then um, my subs ended up combining to make it four all. Went to extra time. He lost five four. But it was it was an amazing game. And you know those fine margins, you know, could have been in a really good season into an outstanding season. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the second year we you know we had the the other difficulties that were behind um, you know travelling in the Champions League. Uh, and you know a club that really hasn't got untold money. You know the travel commitments were pretty yeah. hard going um, so I remember one we were traveling from uh, Brisbane to uh, it was Ulsan in uh, in Korea and so we, we had to go on two separate flights you know some players going at one time some at the other time you know and then you know some through Singapore some you know directly to Korea then a, a bus it from Seoul to Ulsan and it ended up taking you know some of us three days to get there you know, it yeah. was it was you know things that you don't see on the outside you only see on the inside so um, but in the end uh, what kept me longer than i should have probably stayed was the playing group i yeah. you know and the, the the support staff i had around me um but in in hindsight I, I knew after the third season when we we finished six and we made finals i should have actually walked then because of the direction of the club was in going in a different direction to what I wanted it to go into. And yeah. um, I ended up making that decision a few months into the season because I just said, it, it, you know, it's not going to keep on working in the way that I would like it to. And um, But it was it was a hard decision because I, I loved coaching. Um, I still love coaching and, and especially that group and, and that club. I, I really enjoyed it. But uh, in the end, it was uh, the, the right decision for me to walk away. Yeah, good on you. Uh, I think principles, you mentioned principles of, of playing with Ronnie earlier on in the conversation. And, and as people, you know, it, it, it's a life skill in general, isn't it? You know, it, it, there is nothing worse than working in a place that you don't enjoy going there every day. Uh, and I don't care whether that's football or the leisure industry or sweeping the streets. It doesn't really matter. It, it's, uh, it should be a place where we can go and love to be um, and, and enjoy everything we do. So. No, that's right. And, and the thing is, uh, guys, that, um, you know, that that's also an art in coaching is knowing the right time to go into a job and knowing the right time to leave a job. And, uh, you know, I think that over time you will learn that, you know, I talk about, you know, say your, your, your instincts, your gut feels, you know, sometimes with that experience, you, you learn to trust your gut that little bit more. Um, and, and I look at now, you know, Gus Hiddink was a perfect example. He knew the right time to step into a football club or to a yeah. national team role and the right time to leave. But that that was after years of experience. And, um, you know, only recently Antonio Conte um, walked out of Inter Milan after yeah. in the Serie A. Um, he still had a, a contract, to, but he, he just didn't like, obviously, what he was feeling at the football club yeah. and, and thought it was the right time to leave. So that becomes an art that I think is very important in, in coaching as well. Yeah. The challenge here in Australia, of course, is just the, 
the with the lack of jobs the op the, the next opportunity and and we hope that come that comes around for you uh, sooner rather than later but, but johnny let's change tack a little bit who had the most significance on you as a player from a coaching perspective or oh, there well, might be a couple of those people of yeah let's you know what it's a really good one because i think every coach that i had i learned something from um you know whether it's like individually or like the, the teams that we're playing for the pressure situations how they dealt with it um you know i spoke very uh like before about ron smith I think as an individual, he helped um, not only myself, but anyone that was there a lot, but it was also the environment that we were in because, mm. you know, we, um, we were all together and then, you know, in our spare time, we'll go into the gym and kick the ball around. Right? <laughs> we didn't need any coaches there because that was our environment that, yeah. you know, we, we wanted to keep on, you know, learning, improving. And uh, so we'd go and do it ourselves. But so it, I think, um, if, if a coach can create a good environment, that also really helps. We talked about enjoying going to work. There were some coaches, and I, and I won't name names because it's not right of me, but that I just didn't like going to training. And, and yeah. how are you going to improve as a player if you don't enjoy going to training? How, how are you going to um, you know, perform at your best if you're not going to enjoy it? Um, and you know, so I, I remember Terry Venables with our national team was, was brilliant. I think he was a very good man manager. Um, plus, tactically, I thought he yeah. was very good as well. Um, learned quite a bit off of him. Because um, hitting, he was different. Um, very, very, he was ruthless. Um, but he had us for a short period of time. So he got a yeah. super fit. Um, very ruthless in the way he used to act. But you could see what he was trying to achieve out of it. And um, especially now, looking back, you know, uh, as a coach, put your coach's yeah. hat on, you can see why <laughs> he did certain things. Um, but probably the, the one that I enjoyed playing for the most was a, he was a Mexican uh, national team coach a couple of times. He coached in the, the World Cup for them in 2002 and I think 2014 for Mexico. Um, but I had him at Osasuna for three years and um, he was someone that he had a good assistant with him, um, good conditioning coach. And so he was, I loved going to training every day um i felt that i was improving and this is at the age of 28 29 yeah. i felt like i was improving um every day i went to training and when i was going through a tough time he um he backed me and yeah. um and and i and i just felt that was you know that's what a coach should be you know he should mm. he should be able to take the pressure off a player um make sure a player enjoys the environment that he's in and then I'm sure you'll get the best out of your your you know your team, but also your individuals. And uh, that's probably something that he did really well. Yeah. Hey, hey while you're talking about him and, and playing Osasuna, um, sorry to go back to your playing career, but that's right. I, I can't even begin to imagine how um, imposing it must be as an away team playing uh, against Real Madrid in the Bernabeu. But you guys beat them as three 0 there. Yeah, we can you remember that day? Yeah, I do remember it. It was, uh, I remember the bus trip home. We were just, uh, we, <laughs> we couldn't believe it. The, the only thing about that game there is that, that we were 
we won three nil and uh, we were so excited. It was like our final and uh, the, the last five games of the season, we didn't win one game. We lost all five. I think we were lucky we were in safe uh, and, and we we're in uh, a good position on the table. But yeah, you know, it was, I didn't feel that it was imposing and, and I'm sure my teammates didn't either because of the confidence the coach gave us. And yeah. I think that was important. You know, I, I think it's important as, as a coach, you know, even if you're, you're feeling some nerves that you don't show the players that you are. And you'll see some coaches before a game, they'll give their team talk and then they'll walk out of the change room and you won't see them again because that's a way of them not imposing their sort of pre-match nerves on the players and yeah. letting them relax and, um, and letting the players. So he, he was very good at, uh, at motivational like team talks before a game. And it would have been, you know, uh, you know, that um, I can't remember exactly what the team talk was, but maybe, you know, they think they're, you know, the best in the world, but, you know, you can show them as a, as a team, we're a lot better than them. They've got the Galacticos, but they're more individual. All those things he probably played into, you know, and, you know, then you're walking in and, and a lot of things that uh, he did say is, you know, go out there and enjoy it. You know, yeah. You're playing in a, a stadium that's 90,000 people and uh, the history in this stadium, how can you not enjoy it? And yeah. so you, you, you're going out there and, and not feeling the pressure. So that, that's, um, you know, imposing. I think once you step back and think, well, they had Zidane, they had Figo, they had Roberto Carlos, David Beckham, Raul, I'm going, how the hell did we win that game? But yeah. we, we obviously did. Yeah. Nah, some win that. Okay, let's, let's keep on going then. So to you, what is coaching? Uh, coaching is teaching. It, it, it definitely is. Um, coaching is trying to uh, get the best and improving um, not only the team, is uh, also each individual. Uh, it, you know, if you can do that, then you know that you're, you're in the right direction. So uh, people see success in different ways. You know, a lot of people see success only when you win. Um, but you know, there's so many times when you're, you're coaching and, and you see your team play and, uh, and you go, okay, even though we, we didn't get the win or the result we wanted, we're on the right track because, you know, these are our, um, our team structures I could see were, were good and we're improving in that aspect. And so I, I think that, um, you know, coaching is many aspects, especially when you're coaching junior level or, you know, the youth team. Um, it, the result isn't as important. And when you get into first team, yeah, the result is uh, is a lot more important. But the basic principles shouldn't really change. You're there to help the team improve and, and try and improve as, you know, all your individual players. That's not always going to be easy, but you're there to help do that. Yeah. No, I like that. I'm curious. I'd love to get your opinion here. I was listening to a podcast driving into the studio to catch up with Ralph um, three or four weeks ago, listening to a business podcast. Um, and I can't remember the bloke's name, but he was talking about the difference between aspiration and capability. And I really like that. And I thought, you know, because as coaches, we've all got this in our head. We've got the, this dream way that we'd love to play. You know, maybe it's everyone wants to play like uh, Manchester City right now or, or whatever. Um, but the truth is, um, whilst we might want to play that way, we're at this club with this team, with this group of players, with this budget today. 
and what's our capability. So where do you sit on all that about this, this great aspiration and philosophy of, I, I want to do this, but I'm here right now. That's really important, I, I feel, because, um, you know, everyone has a philosophy and, and I think you should. Uh, I think there should be, uh, you know, the way you like your, your teams to play. Look, I like my teams to play a certain way because I believe that's the best way to win football games. Um, but then, you know, sometimes you have to see what's at your disposal, like you said, you know, not only players, but your your budget, um, you know, your where you're coming from as a club, where they were the season before, um, and where, and you know, it's a process in trying to get them there. So if you um, have got players that uh, aren't necessarily uh, lightning quick, you know, it, it's uh, you're not up, up top especially, you know, you're probably not going to play a fast game of football. You know, you're probably not going to play that sort of a counter-attacking or um, you're not going to have a striker like Werner running in behind. You know, you have to sort of change your style a little bit sometimes. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's really important to understand what group you're working with. And sometimes, you know, what club you're going to, it might not suit what you feel is the, the way that uh, you want to play your football. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, I don't think that you can say, um, yeah, this is the way I want to play and this is the only way I want to play. Even the best coaches in the world, you look at Guardiola, he's done it, you know, now in three different countries. And if you look from when he was at Barcelona to when he went to Bayern Munich, he did change and, and yeah. sort of had to adapt to the players and the country he was in. Um, and that's why I think he's so good because he's yeah. able to adapt. Yeah, adaption. I, how, how good's that? I, I, I do really enjoy that. I think um, part of the one of the flaws in the game, particularly in Australia, because that's that's where I live, is that coaches by nature have to be innovative. You know, there's no coach ever went in losing two or three nil at half time and said, "Hey guys, just keep doing the same thing." Yeah, <laughs> you know. And you said at the start, you you get a youth team and you don't have an assistant coach and you don't have a team manager, so you're carrying yeah. balls and trying to work out where you're training. By nature, we're innovative, innovative people. And I, I just one of my one of my wishes is that um, the suits in football would realise uh, just how much help they can get from coaches and their, their, their ability to be creative and think outside the box. Yeah, uh, you definitely have to think outside the box. And, and the thing is, it's, it's not only uh, uh, games or, or through a season or, or, or in pre-season, it's actually every day. Uh, you, know, you, you have to adapt to certain situations every day. Um, and coaches, most coaches are you know, very creative and uh, they'll still have their, their processes and, uh, and they'll have their, their structures, but they know that, uh, you know, sometimes you have to tweak that a little bit or else, you know, it, it's not going to work. You, you can't say um, the, the possession, for instance, you know, we're going to do a, you know, a 7v7 plus three bounces in the, you know, one on either end and one in the middle in this, uh, you know, dimension, uh, if you see it's not working, you might have to open it up a little bit. If you see it's working too well, you might have to close the space a little bit. You know, there's things that you get a feel of and, and you have to be creative like that. So, you know, yeah. you can't just say, this is the meters that we're going to do it in and that always works. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on what players you have. It depends on the pitch. It depends on the, you know, if it's blowing a gale, if it's raining. So all those things that, you know, come into play. Yeah. 
You're listening to the Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media, the podcast professionals. We're here today with John Aloisi talking football and coaching and life in general, learning a lot. Johnny, let's move ahead. You had, I think you might still be one of the uh, only Aussies to have played in the English Premier League in Serie A uh, and in uh, um, La Liga. Um, 15 years as a pro in Europe is an awful long time and you did your coach education in Europe as well. Do, do you think, sorry, so let's stick with the playing to start with. Do you think coaching in Europe is different from coaching in Australia? Uh, coaching in each country in Europe is different. Um, you know, I would say back in when I was in Italy, uh, for instance, the that was the first time I actually saw that uh, the football director, um, you can say technical director, um, had majority of the say on, if not all the say, on which players signed for the football club. Um, and, and the coaches there, just the coach. That's why they were called coaches. Um, yeah. And then, you know, when I went to to Europe, uh, the UK, uh, in England, um, the managers were the ones that overlooked all of that. You know, they overlooked yeah. the football department. That's why they were called managers. And then they, their coaches would do a lot of the coaching sessions. Um, and then, you know, in Spain, it was a bit similar to, to Italy. Um, and then here in Australia, I think it's really important. You can have, you know, your football directors or technical directors but you know the way the salary cap works and um and you know the coach needs to be on top of who he's signing he he, he can't uh, just rely on the, the the technical director bringing players in here because you know you're uh, over in europe you can actually loan those players out if the coach doesn't want them or you can sell those players if the coach isn't playing them or if they are playing well. Whereas in Australia, you've got a salary cap, you're stuck with that group the majority yeah. of the season. Yeah. So that's why I think it's very important. So it is different uh, from coaching in Australia. Um, coaching in Australia, I think that you need to try and um, be a, probably a better man manager what you do have to be over in Europe because in Europe, uh, like I said before, it's very easy to, to get rid of a player and bring another player in because yeah. that's... Uh, you know, that's what's done over there. So if a player's not performing, he's out, another one will come in. Whereas here, player's not performing, or how can we get him to perform better? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that it probably gives you more of an all-round base how to coach here. Um, whereas over there, it's more coaching on the pitch day-to-day and let the other people do their job. Yeah, yeah. How about then in coach education, John? You did most of your coach education in Europe and then finished that with your pro licence here. Did you see or feel a, a difference in that, in the way coaches are educated? Um, yeah, over there, it was, uh, especially at the start, it was very, um, you know, you, you, you actually learn the basic principles. Um, and, you know, I can't comment too much about what the CB and A uh, are like here now or what they were like uh, 10 years ago when I was, I was starting out to do my coaching courses. But um, I did hear uh, here there was very much, you know, we'll, we'll coach you and teach you in, in educating a 4-3-3 system because that's the system we want all our juniors to play. So we're going to get you to be able to do it uh, to a, a certain level. Um, so when you go back to your clubs or your academies or 
you know, your NGC programs. This is the way that we're teaching. Whereas over there, when I was doing it in the UK, it was very broad. It was more about, all right, so um, you're uh, coaching a team with three at the back, um, you know, and you're coming up a, a 4-4-2 system and, and they're pressing you. How do you outplay that press in the back third? And so you have to come up with a training session and, and do that. Um, and, and so, you know, I found it really um, helpful that I was learning different systems, different styles. Um, you know, I, I was also chatting, you know, lucky enough to, you know, your, your fuel levels and uh, that were on my course and, you know, players that played under really great managers. And uh, yeah. so, you know, I, I thought that was uh, was helpful. But the, the, the coach education over there, it, I think it gave you a really broad uh, thing because they didn't say your philosophy has to be this yeah. you have your philosophy but we're going to be here to help you and guide you to, to for a sense on what you want to do one thing that I picked up there at quite a bit was where you stand on the field on the training field how to see you know the majority of the play don't be standing in the middle that you can't see what's going on around you and yeah you know that would mic you up they'll film you uh, they'll pr bring you back inside and, and then show you, you know, uh, what you did really well and what you didn't do uh, as well as, uh, you know, and when to stop, when to step in, um, how often you can do that. And I know they do that on uh, our coach education yeah. here, but um, I, I found, found it really helpful, um, the, the coaching education over there. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, do you or have you had a coaching mentor? someone that you can call and say, listen, I'm, you know, this is what's happening. You got a solution for me? Yeah. Um, you know, probably not when I was at Melbourne Heart. I had, uh, I used to like call Ron a bit, uh, yeah. Ron Smith. Um, and, you know, it, it, sometimes it's good to have someone that's away as well because yeah. then they're seeing things from a different angle and perspective. So when you're involved, sometimes you can get a little bit blinded uh, in terms of, you know, uh, you're, you're seeing it this way because, you know, that that's what you're trying to do. But, you know, someone that's from a distance can, can give you a little bit more um, of a different view. Uh, yeah. And and also, Anne's Postacoglu's helped me quite a bit, um, especially after, not during those Melbourne Heart days because I was coaching against him. He was at <laughs> Melbourne Victory at that stage. <laughs> but uh, when he stepped into the national team role um, and, you know, I was away from Melbourne Heart, you know, I, I caught up with him a number of times and, you know, I still call him now if there's a, you know, a coaching position that's come available. Do you, what do you think? You know, this is what the, the club are looking at doing. Do you think it's the right opportunity for me or, or whatever it is? It can be anything. Yeah. Um, and, and it's good to hear someone that's gone through different experiences and, and what they feel. Um, at the end of the day, you make the final decision. But, uh, yes, yeah, definitely a mentor is, is very helpful and I think very important. Yeah, yeah. What, 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 why do you think it's important? I think it's important because a, a lot of these, um, and you're talking about experienced coaches, and it can be just experience, uh, you know, in other fields as well, that uh, they, they can also explain to you, you know, your, the way you, you know, your messaging, um, the, the way you're talking to the media, why you're doing that, ask you questions, you know, what, what are you trying to get across? Um, you know, they might have been through similar experiences than you. So why wouldn't you ask someone that's, uh, 
you know, gone through it and been through those experiences, you know, what they did, what they learned from it. Um, and, you know, I, I still do it to, today. I, I'll, you know, go visit different codes as well um, and sit down and, and speak to their coaches. Um, not that I need to, to copy or need to, yeah. you know, but, you know, it, it's, I think it's good to keep on learning and broadening your mind. Um, you know, whenever at the moment, no, with COVID, but uh, I'll go overseas and visit coaches over there and and just pick their brain. Um, but uh, I think it's important because, you know, they, a lot of coaches are, are willing to help fellow coaches. And, yeah, and, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's a difficult um, field to be in, as you know. Mm. Um, and, and I think that, you know, sometimes it can be a lonely uh, position because when you're the head coach of a, an actual football club you know that a lot of the time you're alone you're the the, the one that would make the final decision and uh, and it's always good to speak to someone outside because you're not always going to get the truth from within no um, and, and it, you know I think there's a as a wise man said so there's there's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom you know, and, and the difference between the two is making a whole lot of mistakes that sometimes you have to make yourself and sometimes you don't because you've got a confidant or a mentor that, that can say, hey, listen, I did that for two years, banged my head against the brick wall and all it was a sore head, but yeah. I, did, I didn't find a solution. And sometimes you go, I know, I, you know, a couple of times when I was coaching, I'd ring Ronnie and go, I can't solve this. He said, yeah, that used to happen to me. And I, I you know, do this, this and this. And you go, no, it can't be that simple. Yeah. And yeah, it can be that simple. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's good. Um, do, do you, does your role as a, uh, an armchair coach or a pundit, does that, does that help refine your coaching? You're watching an awful lot of football. You're talking about an awful lot of football. Is that, do you think that's helped you understand the game better? Yeah, definitely. Um, watching a lot of football and, and actually analysing a lot of football. And, and you know, sometimes when you're, um, when you're in coaching and, uh, and you're coaching a team and you're coaching, let's say, in the A-League, for instance, you know, there, there's certain systems that you're, you're seeing week in, week out. Um, and you haven't got time to, like, I'm not saying broaden your knowledge, but, you know, sometimes stepping back and, and doing what I'm doing now you're seeing completely different styles of football, like in, in England, in Spain, in Italy, in the Bundesliga, and you go, all right, what could work if I took a team again? Or what you yeah. know, would I do against this system? You know, I didn't think about that when I was playing against a, a you know, five, three, two, or, or whatever it is, you know, I, now I understand why he was trying to do that. And so there's things that when you're, sitting back and analysing a lot of football and watching a lot of football that you might see in a different light. Um, and also just your messaging. So when you're on TV, you have to be very uh, concise. You have to be very uh, clear with your messaging. It's no different to coaching. Yeah. You, know, you have to be very clear. You don't want to confuse uh, your players um, you know, and you don't want to confuse your, your audience, you know, because if you start to, to talk and, and then you're going around in circles, people start to you know, not understand what you're saying. So it, I, I find that very helpful as well. Yeah. No, I like, I like that a lot. No, thanks. Um, you, you mentioned coaches from other sports. I, I was, that's one of the questions here. Have they, has they influenced you when you, 
or when I was coaching at the AIS, um, you're obviously surrounded by coaches from other sports. Um, you meet regularly with them. You become used to talking to them. And, and, and I think you, you found that you, you know, it doesn't really matter what the sport is, just the fact that they've been responsible for helping to develop athletes, players and teams. It's just, there's a great source of, of wisdom there all the time, isn't there? There is. There definitely is. And, you know, it, sometimes when you, you stick to just your, uh, like what you, you know, you, your code, for instance, uh, you know, I'll go overseas and visit coaches over there. And over there, it's very, um, you know, they can be like that. They're there. What they say is has to go. You know, if a player doesn't follow, he's out of the team. Whereas, like I said here, it's a little bit different. You need to try and get the best out of uh, the, the people and that's in your that are in your squad. So, when I was uh, went to go visit um, AFL clubs, uh, when they were doing analysis, I was like very interested in how they were doing it because you know they had the Socratic approach. Approach, you know, the, the Socrates, the, the old philosopher, <laughs> was you know, ask them, you know, questions, you know, ask them, you know, in this situation within our structures, what would you do, and try and lead the players into the right answer because that way you're also engaging with yeah. the players. You're not just talking through a 15-minute, um, you know, preview or review of a game. You're you're actually uh, engaging, um, and and they're learning at the same time. Uh, so I, I found that really good, and and I brought that with me into when I uh, would do my analysis, and um, and I found it very helpful not only for myself but also the players because uh, all right they're getting it, they're they're understanding it. They just didn't see that situation on the field, and then there might be a reason why, and they can come yeah. up with a reason why, and um, and so th those little things there, uh, there's things that they do in in other codes and in other sports that we can't bring in. Uh, to ours because you know it's a different culture, different environment, um, different money that they're dealing with. You know, with, yeah. with so, but you can definitely learn from other sports, definitely. No doubt. Change attack again, John. You 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 walked away from um, Brisbane Roar as a coach. You were sacked um, at Melbourne Heart. Um, that first time that happens, I know that. <laughs> You haven't been a manager until that's happened, but the, 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 that's a tough place to be. So I guess the, the question is, how important is resilience for coaches? And, and do you think that's something that can be developed? It, it definitely can be developed and it developed through experiences. Um, you know, you develop resilience from, and I think it's, it's important to develop resilience from an early age, you know, uh, you, you see a lot of players that make it to a high level have had setbacks as they were kids. Um, yeah. And you know, Arsene Wenger's come out and, and said that, uh, you know, he believes that uh, the, the best players and the ones that end up making it um, and not only just get there and, and, and play a few games and then go away, the ones that play 10 to 15 years at a professional level are the ones that had setbacks when they were kids, whatever they may be. Um, and so it's the same in coaching. You need to be resilient. If there's nothing, and you know what it's like when you lose a football game, and you know you're you could be so low, and you just go, "This just feels terrible." And then for the next day, you need to walk in and and showing that you've got the answers and uh, and that you want to lead this group and lead this club and and this team. So, um, but when you do get the sack, it's it's again, you know, you get the initial 
people, you know, calling, sending texts, you know, wish you all the best, uh, and, you know, trying to be there uh, supportive to you, but that quickly goes away and you're left alone again. You know, you're left by yourself and then, you know, you start questioning, well, what could have I done? What do I do? You know, how do I? And so, you know, those things there, um, it, it is it is a tough, tough uh, period to be, you know, uh, when, when you've been sacked and not in, uh, the job that you love doing because you're going from a very clear structure in your daily structure and routine to having no structure and no routine yeah and and, and that can uh, mentally um, you know affect you as well so uh, it's very important to have good support with your family um, and I'm lucky that I, I do have you know a supportive family um, and also you know, you, you find those mentors that you can, um, you know, lean towards and, and, you know, and speak to them about it because, you know, they might have been through similar situations. And, you know, David Park, and the, who is a legendary AFL coach, ex-AFL yeah. coach, uh, he lived uh, two, three doors down and um, from me. And, uh, you know, what a amazing person, but, uh, you know, something he didn't have to do that will, will stay with me. He knocked on my door uh let's go have a coffee and you know to start chatting about you know uh my time you know what i've got to look forward to and his experiences then he uh, one of the books that he uh, co-wrote with someone he gave it to me and, and signed and you know whenever you 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 want to have a chat you know come and knock on my door and and so those things do help but you do need to have resilience that's for sure yeah. how did you cope Physically, I, in doing the research here, I, I worked out we shared a, a few things. We both yes. like scoring goals. Yeah. <laughs> we both were born on the 5th of February. Oh, I didn't know that one. <laughs> That's a good one. And uh, we both, we're both in a zipper club. We both had our yes. chest cracked open and, and had surgeons fix up or replace valves in our chest. How, that, 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 for me, was intriguing because I'd never had a sort of serious injury or, or anything prior to that. How did you cope? With, with a different sort of resilience there because that's uh, that's pretty invasive surgery. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's uh, invasive surgery. And plus the, going into that surgery, you're, you know, it's uh, it's a scary time because mm. you, you don't know if you're going to come out of it. Um, you don't know how you're going to come out of it. And then, you, you know, all thoughts cross your mind. Um, mm. But uh, it was, um, I had not a lot of time to think about it because I only had a, probably less than a week because when I found out that I had this issue, um, they booked me in the next week to, to get the surgery done. So it was uh, it was funny because I, I went back to sort of my playing days and my, my coaching experiences and started to like, how do I clear my mind to get through this? And, uh, yeah. you know, and, and what, what do I do to, to get through? Not in this initial scary bit, the operation and the post-operation um, and, you know, and try and put a bit of structure towards all that as well. Um, but, um, you know, so I wrote down, uh, you know, in my, in my notepad that, um, you know, I was already grateful that the surgeon was able to repair my mitral valve and, you know, uh, grateful for, you know, recovering really well from surgery and my rehab was, uh, you know, I feel fitter than I ever have. And this is before I went into the surgery. So yeah. whenever I start to get those doubts in my mind of how I'm going to go, am I going to see my kids again? You know, I'll read those um, like five or six uh, 
affirmations and vision, uh, uh, what I wanted out of the surgery. And, uh, and that helped me a lot because mm-hmm. uh, it was a scary period because you, you know, as you know, you, you don't expect it. And all of a sudden, you know, you're having a, a major operation. Yeah. No, I like that. And I love that, that gratitude is a big part of that. I, I, taking time to, um, to think of all the things that we're thankful for as a, uh, has a great power and uh, I don't know, I found that to be quite self-healing at times. So um, yeah, good on you, John. Good, and good to see you looking so uh, so fit and, and healthy as well. So, all right, moving on. What have been some of your most enjoyable moments as a coach? Oh, you know what? Um, obviously winning football games is the most <laughs> enjoyable thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the day-to-day I found really enjoyable. I, I love being, you know, on the pitch with, uh, with you know, the players and, and, and you know, um, getting them to actually understand what, you know, your, your structures and, and the way you want the, the team to play. And, and then when you see it happen on the on game day and, and, and see players and the team improving, that that's also very satisfying. But the, the most enjoyable one is probably, you know, there's a couple of games that really stood out. Um, you know, we were, I think it was against Melbourne Victory, actually. It was uh, one of the, the, probably the minor semifinals at uh, Suncorp. We were... Um, middle, uh, so we finished third that season, and they finished sixth. So you're you're expected to win, especially at home. And um, you know who pops up with about five minutes to go is uh, and victory were down to ten men, mind you. Bessar Barisha, <laughs> he pops up all alone in the penalty box and and scores off the corner. I'm like, how the hell did that happen? So you you know within uh, it was virtually uh, straight after the kickoff. We went down the other end and scored. And then uh, with the only a minute remaining, uh, Thomas Broich uh, scored a, a, an unbelievable header. And, and just, you know, the excitement of it all. And just, yeah, it, was, uh, it, was a, it was a great feeling. It wasn't the, the grand final, but it felt like yeah, it, uh, yeah. the way it happened. And, um, you know, the, the, those, those things there uh, are highlights, of course. But then seeing individuals go on to be you know, uh, even better players from when you first arrived and, you know, um, players still contacting you and talking to you. And, um, you know, that, that that's also a, a good feeling. And, and and you can only have that if, the, you know, there's the respect there, if they, they uh, respected you first as a, as a coach and then as a person, um, because it's not only results on the field, you're also helping um, individuals uh, become better people. And, uh, and I think that's important as well. So is that success for you? Is that what success looks like? Um, yeah, but that success doesn't always give you another job. <laughs> 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 or get you another job. <laughs> but, yeah, but you know what? I'm very clear in my values and, and my principles that, um, and what I, I would like my group and my um, you know the people that I'm working with to, to behave like and to, you know and and that and you do get a good feeling when you know that uh, people uh, respond and, and and say you know what a what a good person you know a player that you're coaching uh, you know and when they go visit you know the, the a local community or the schools and you know when they when you're getting positive feedback that uh, that that does uh, feel good that is that is success i don't care what anyone says you know success is not always just winning football games it's also the way you're representing um your your club you the game 
because we're still here to grow the game in Australia. Um, you know, and and then I always say that when I set foot into a club, you know, you're representing um, not only uh, the club, you're representing the game yourself and your family. And so straight away, a player will will walk a little bit different you know when he's out he'll think twice about doing something really <laughs> stupid um so I, I think it's important that you you do have those values yeah i, I like that speaking of values and uh, and family which is obviously key to you you you've got to play um with your brother ross um i think adelaide city in the early days uh, yep. i think you might have had a game or two with the socceroos together we had one game together with the Socceroos, but uh, I, I wouldn't say that it will, I went off and he went on when I was off. Aloisi <laughs> off, no. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you've worked together as well um, uh, at Brisbane. He's been your assistant. That, that, I'm not quite sure. I don't have a brother, so but I'm sure that must be uh, must bring you some great joy to be able to, to work together as well. Yeah, it it did. It um, you know a lot of people question you know how can you work with your brother that that would be a little bit uh, difficult because you know he's older than you you know that that could be a little bit uh, um, you know, how does uh, he always uh, go when you're sort of the, the you know leading the, the group and uh, he's there to assist you um, but it, it it was great because the one thing that I was able to do with my brother and and it doesn't always happen is that um, you know behind closed doors we could have a really good discussion about what we were doing at the yeah. at the club and and he could be very honest because you know he's not afraid to be honest to his brother <laughs> <laughs> whereas sometimes you know you could go with other coaches they might be a little bit afraid to yeah. but, but once we we stepped out of there you know the you know, the environment of uh, being in a, uh, in a in an office and we went back out and to open the door and he was always going to back, you know, what we're trying to do together because we're always on the same page after that. Um, and, and I think we haven't spoken about this, but I think that you know yourself what your strengths are or you should end up finding out what your strengths are and yeah. also know what weaknesses you might have. And, um, and so me and my brother are very different in terms of our yeah. characters and but that can also be a, a good advantage uh, for you. So um, I, in, I enjoyed working with him. Uh, whether uh, we'll end up working together in the future, you just don't know. But I think my brother is good enough, and and he's showing now that you know he's working with Carl at Adelaide United. It's good for him to step out of working with his brother, sort of that shadow, um, yeah. because I think he will be a, a great head coach uh, if he wants to. Um, and it's an opportunity to say, all right, this is Ross Aloisi as Ross and not, you know, yeah. working for, for John. Yeah. Great for him right now. I think with Carl at Adelaide, you know, is, is obviously not a new coach, but new into the A-League as a coach. So to have someone, and I, I don't think the A-League's done this particularly well, to have someone of Ross's experience around him as an assistant, uh, I think is a fantastic asset to have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, there's things that Ross has experienced that Carl hasn't experienced mm. because Ross has been around, and and we don't do that enough. And and I agree with you. I I think that you know, and and I'll talk about AFL because they're probably the, the clubs, mm. the, the the different sport that I've visited the most. They do get 
uh, coaches back in that have been head coaches yeah. and they get them back into you know certain roles within the football club and within the football department and I think it can it go a long way to actually you know because they will have their experiences and what they've been through and that uh, we don't do that where as soon as a head coach is, is out of a job you know unless another head coaching role comes along he's, he's there's no other job for him yeah uh, yeah so that's uh, I, I agree with you that we don't probably do that enough. Mm. All right, mate, we're almost done. If you have one piece of wisdom, wisdom that you could pass on to coaches, whether they be young coaches, more experienced coaches ever, what would that be? Oh, the, the, the biggest thing is that, like, you have to be passionate about it. That's 100%. Uh, because if you're not passionate about coaching, then the, the, you're in the wrong business um because there's there's so many things to work it's, it's a tough job um and you know I, I think be clear in your your decisions i think that uh, and why i say that is because you know sometimes if uh, and we spoke about it before if you're coaching just to keep a job then your decision making isn't always going to be clear um you know but if if you're coaching um because uh, and, and your decisions are very clear you know if i make this decision uh, if we lose the game of football i yeah it, uh, it you know it, i could lose my job but i know that that was my decision don't go off with someone else you know coming yeah. in, into you so um unless it's good advice from someone that you trust <laughs> <laughs> but what I mean by that is, you know, if you're and supporters are very uh, important. Don't get me wrong, they they are, and we've we've noticed this in the, in the past year and a half. Uh, games without supporters it can be pretty dull. You know, supporters oh, yeah. mean everything to the game. Um, but also you you have to understand the supporters will get on your back or the team's back when the team's not winning. Um, but you can't always listen to them when they're you know. Um, you know, having a go or letting their anger go on you because <laughs> if you do, you end up be sitting with them in the very near future. So, you know, you have to try and block that out. Um, but uh, but coaching at any level is uh, it, it, you have to love it and be passionate about it. You know, coaching kids level is uh, I think no different to coaching senior level. You're there to for the individual and the team. It's not about you. Yeah. It, it should never be about the coach. It has to be about getting the best out of the individual at a younger level, improving those players and, and getting to, to the, you know, the best they can be. And that's no different when you're at senior level. Yeah. You know, you look at uh, Tuko at now at Chelsea, he's getting the best out of each individual. He's, he's improved nearly each individual over the last three or four months. And that's incredible to do so in such a quick uh, a period of time um, but th that's you know that's no different to coaching kids yeah I think that's a wonderful place to leave it talking about the success of Chelsea um, unless so that, <laughs> so that continues across the weekend John Aloisi thanks very much mate really appreciate your time your knowledge and your wisdom thanks for having me on cheers Johnny You've been listening to Football Coaches Australia, uh, Football Coaching Life, brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media the Podcast Professionals. If you've enjoyed today's show, please log on to footballcoachesoz.org.au. Renew your membership, buy a membership, just have a look around the different resources. You have a great day. Mm -hmm.